This is an ABC podcast. So I'd met this guy at a couple of parties. I was out with some friends. We were having some drinks. I met this guy on Tinder. The night was going really well and they introduced me to a friend of theirs. So there was this one time I was on a party cruise. Like it was exciting in the lead up. I was down to clown and (laughs) ready to go. The promise of sex with a stranger can be intoxicating, but the reality, holy crap, it can be pretty sobering. It was hard to even, like, not laugh during the experience. The heaving, grunt noise with every thrust, it was like a dying animal, like, thrusting into me with that jackhammer move that guys do that is just not enjoyable whatsoever. The sex was really bad. It was probably the worst that I've had. (laughs) I once slept with a guy who had a micro penis. I couldn't believe what he was doing. He was laying there completely naked, lying on bed, and he was in this sort of paint me like one of your French girls poses with a full-blown erection. And I basically had to tell him, like, you need to calm down because if this is going to happen, you actually need to do some foreplay. We've all got bad sex stories. I don't think there's a woman alive who hasn't had some version of bad sex. If there was a book of bad sex, it'd be so heavy you couldn't lift it. But there is this idea that as we and those we're shagging get older and therefore a bit more experienced in bed, we grow out of bad sex, that sex gets better. There'll be readily available orgasms like parking spots at big shopping centres. It'll be like, ooh, every time, or at least, ooh, every time. But what if that doesn't happen? What if bad sex is your life? I've tried everything. I've tried lingerie, porn, Viagra, DVDs, date nights, weekends away, going down on him, laying on the bed covered in oil, getting rid of the kids. You name it, I've tried it. I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, we need to talk about bad sex. Can I share an alarming statistic? More than 20% of women did not enjoy sex the last time they had it. That is from the latest study of Australian Health and Relationships published in the journal Sexual Health. Okay, so can we just take a moment to think about that? 20%. That is a lot of bad sex. So what do we mean when we say bad sex? What is that? It could be a range of things, from not ever having an orgasm to emotional or physical discomfort, actual pain, a lack of lubrication, or even boredom. In some cases, though, it's the selfish lover. Dun, dun, dun. In the book of bad sex, Zoe is going to write the first chapter. It was a secret relationship because she didn't want to come out. Um, so they added a different sort of element to it. But it was, a, it was a nice one until I got into the sexual stuff with her. Zoe is talking about her first girlfriend, who was a great partner, but terrible in bed. Initially, I just thought that she was into quickies. And I was like, this is interesting. Like, 
what I'd heard about lesbian sex anyway was that it was, you know, a lot more foreplay and things like that. And so I was really looking forward to, you know, experiencing that. But she ultimately wanted to orgasm and didn't really care whether I did afterwards. Never wanted to have sex at the same time. Wanted to go first. Mm -hmm. And then was too tired, had had enough, had got what she needed, essentially. So she wouldn't reciprocate? Not at all. Over and over again? In the beginning, she would, but the vibe was that it was a chore. And I could sense that. It's weird looking back that I didn't think to leave her because of that. Having come across a woman that was as selfish as the men that I had been with previously before I'd figured out that I was, you know, gay, it was really surprising. And now that I look at it, I would never put up with that now. I'd be like, bye. (laughs) Did she have an aversion to vaginas? I don't know. See, I've been thinking about that. I thought, you know, she didn't want to come out. Maybe it was something to do with that. But maybe she just wasn't gay. Zoe, you guys dated for about a year and a half. How many times do you reckon that you orgasmed in that time? I could count on both of my hands. So I maybe seven, seven times in that time. And she orgasmed every time. So you were having lots of sex? Frequently. Yeah. Very frequently. So you were kind of just like her slave. I was a service, I think. Far out. Yeah. It's funny because I really didn't think about it at the time. And, And looking back, I'm like, wow, I totally got used for a very long period of time. But now I know what to look for. Does that sound familiar to you? Could you and Zoe co-write the chapter on Selfish Lovers? Because, to be honest, it's so common that when talking bad sex, I thought the entire episode of this podcast could be about people who were selfish in bed. But we talked to a few sex therapists, and they say that bad sex is hugely subjective, and we'll get to that. But good sex comes down to these C words, consent, connection, compatibility, and that old chestnut, communication, which makes sense, right? Often the answers to complex problems like how can I actually have fun during sex are pretty bloody simple. But what if you've had really great sex with your partner and all of that changes? The author of this chapter in our book of bad sex is Danielle. We've given her a different name and disguised her voice. Danielle is in her 50s, she's got two kids, and 15 years ago she married the love of her life. In the beginning it was fairly, well, it was great. It was very textbook, it's a lot of lust, didn't leave the bed for three months. <laughs> it was great. From the minute we, we sort of started, I just felt comfortable with him body-wise. You know, with some men it's all awkward. We just fitted together And it was just easy. It's always been easy. And it was great sex. That's a distant memory now, unfortunately. Nothing ever changed for me. He changed. It's now been years since Danielle enjoyed sex. And she's pretty sure her husband's impotent. For a guy, it can be a huge ego crusher to not be able to get an erection, but for the women navigating that, it can feel so personal. It's embarrassing. How can I say to people, you know, 
My husband doesn't want to have sex with me. (laughs) How do I say that over a Friday night wine? What happens if you try to instigate sex now? Oh, well, I do all the time. We don't have sex unless I start it. Like we've gone down the Viagra path with my pushing. You can imagine this is just a world of difficulty because even to discuss it is so, you know, he's instantly defensive. It's such an awkward conversation. Sometimes it's good if he hasn't had too much to drink. Sometimes, you know, there's a whole lot of build-up and we get to it and he doesn't work. So, yeah, I'm disappointed and, yeah, he doesn't have an erection, (laughs) effectively. I think because you're married, you know, it's not easy. It's pretty much day-to-day routine, monotony, um, but surely good sex is a perk of marriage because there's not so many perks. I don't know, that sounds pretty ruthless. But, you know, that's it. Our kids are older and gone and don't need us anymore. And it's our time now. And it's my time. I'm done with mothering. <laughs> well, not that I'll ever be done, but you know what I mean. Mm. There's no there's no little kids in our house anymore. And, um, yeah, I want a relationship with him. And that means, you know, everything from walking the dog to going out for dinner to coming home and having sex and having an orgasm. <laughs> Just paint me a picture, okay? Mm. The last time you instigated sex with your husband, mm. what, what, just talk me through it. Okay, well, that was a couple of weekends ago. All right, I'll talk you through it and no judgment. So we went out and I got dressed up and he got dressed up and we had a really nice time and we came home and, you know, put the candle on and did all that and said to him before we go, can you take a tablet? Is it okay? Can you take a tablet? You know, oh, God, all right. <laughs> That's what he says. Um, yeah, we had too many drinks and, you know, a bit of drunk sex, which is never that good. And, yeah, that's what happened. I'm sorry, Danielle. <laughs> sucks, man. I've thought about leaving, don't worry. Mm. <laughs> I've thought well and long into the many, many nights about leaving. But, you know, where am I going? I'll just be another 52-year-old single woman and we've got a huge mortgage. <laughs> so I have to go with being realistic and it's not that bad and, yeah, all that. You emailed us, uh, that's how we mm. met, um, and mm. in your email you describe yourself as lost and mm. lonely. So how does this active rejection make you feel? Oh, like shit. It just makes me feel like shit all the time. But I don't know what else. I don't know what to do. I, I can't tell anyone. I can't tell my friends. Um, I've told one and she's... You know, I mean, I know everyone says, oh, things are not okay, tell this. I don't, but I don't think that's true at all. I think when you really open up, especially as women, there's a lot of judgment and it's embarrassing. I think the few friends that I sort of see regularly are also long, long, long term relationships, and I hear their comments are, it's completely the opposite 
it's completely the, oh, he's going to want to do it again. You know, we've been out tonight. I know he's going to throw his leg over. And, oh, you know, I just jokingly said, God, lucky you. <laughs> and that sort of met with, oh, what's going on with her? <laughs> it's not something you can share easily. And the thing is, they all know him. You know, that's the thing. Sorry, but like they know him really well. And he's a really good bloke. You know, they're, they're all mates, all the husbands are really good mates and blokes, and so there's a bit of betrayal there. Every specialist would say you've got to talk to him about it, but you've said that you have tried. I have tried. I talk, we've talked to the point of, you know, he's sick of me talking about it. What's the conversation? He's very unique in this day and age, and I know we're not allowed to say all these things, but he's really, really blokey Australian bloke. You know, this all deep down emotion. There's just very, very little emotion from him. He's the world's best bloke, you know, can fix a fence and, you know, dig a hole and all that. And he's got lots of mates and everything. But as far as, I mean, I could get really dressed up and really nice and he's never given me a compliment. He's never, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> Talking emotions, that's just like, oh, my God, get away from me now, <laughs> you know. So can you imagine trying to talk to him about sex? It's, he takes it through, you know, personally, no man wants to hear that he's not satisfying his wife. I don't know. I mean, I've said to him, I'm going to talk to a couple of your mates. Never going to do that in a million years. I booked a sex counsellor ages ago. He said, I'm not going to that. I wouldn't go. I'm not going. Won't come. So there's no way you could get him, say, to the GP or something? Well, we did go to the GP because, I don't know, somehow I was with him on one occasion and, yeah, that's how we got the Viagra. And, you know, it was all wrapping up and everything's fine and, you know, this is check your blood pressure. And I said, well, no, we're not finished yet. <laughs> and uh, he just looks at me, you know, like, shut up. Right. And I said, no, we need to address this. Can we get a prescription? And the doctor's like, oh, you know, it was all very awkward. But anyway, we got it. <laughs> yeah, well, as you know, as a woman, you've got to do everything you can to get your own way. We got it. And he got the prescription. But then he wouldn't get the prescription filled, like sat on the, fen- on the in the bench for like two weeks. <laughs> And so that was another conversation. Are you happy in the marriage? Uh, not really. Sometimes. Sometimes it's good. Do people have sexless marriages? I don't know. Do they? <laughs> Is that what I've signed up for now? You're the author of your story, Danielle. It's so full on, though. I can't tell you what to do. But here is another stat for you. One million. That's how many men have erectile dysfunction in Australia. One million. And the older you get, the more common it becomes. So while it may seem like it's just an issue for the blokes... If it's that common, nah, it's our issue too. Lisa Tawney is a sex and relationship therapist and national chairperson of the Society of Australian Sexologists. 
She says issues like impotence and premature ejaculation can be exceedingly touchy subjects, and if you're living through it, just like Danielle says, generally you don't tell anyone. When we're maybe having casual sex, we might be a bit more free and, you know, easy. We'll get out with our friends and say, oh, my God, I have to tell you all the details of this hookup I had last night. Oh, my God, you won't believe it. Mm. Like blow by blow, quite literally all about this. But then I think when you're in your relationships, there can be that sense of, well, is that an invasion of their privacy? Am I not able to talk about that? Because we go out to dinner and we socialise together yeah. and then my girlfriend might be sitting there looking at my husband and thinking, oh, gee whiz. So, yeah. so I think there's, there's that element too that might uh, prevent people from talking. Let's say one of these women wants to talk about it with her husband Mm. Like, how can she do it? Because it's, it's surely it's going to be pretty emotional. Mm. I recommend to people that they have sexual discussions, not in sexual situations. So I think we can't get more vulnerable than when we're naked. And uh, I often say to people, kind of table a conversation when you're having a cup of tea or you're, you know, you're having brunch or something or you're going for a walk on the beach or you're driving the car, you know, not in not sexual situations. So it can be less threatening, less difficult because it's pretty hard if you're, you know, naked in bed and you're you know, in, a, in a sexual situation and then try to have a conversation about, you mm-hmm. know, what's working and what's not working. So um, it just sort of, you know, try to take some of that sting out of it by creating a different environment to have the discussion. And I know that some people you know, just won't be part of that and I imagine that's that's what your, you know, listeners have written in to say. It's like I can't even have the conversation. Mm. I can't even get to that point. And so you can kind of throw around all these tips but what if you just can't even, you know, what if that person won't engage at all? then what do you do? But I know it's 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 awkward and uh, it's unfortunate that it is so awkward. I wish that we didn't live in a society where talking about sex was just so difficult for mm. people and there was just and there's so much awkward about that. I wish we could normalize talking about sex so then we can actually have these conversations that don't feel critical but that actually feel supportive. Sure. Yeah. I'm just picturing, you know, just some bloke, right, who's just mm. an average Aussie bloke whose partner's said, let's go to a, to see a therapist about mm. your impotence or your premature ejaculation mm. and the terror in him. You know, mm. he'd picture this therapist as basically walking in and people pointing at his penis and, and laughing. <laughs> do you know mm. what I mean? Like it just, mm. it would just be, he would do anything to avoid that. Yeah. And then that's, and that's an interesting uh in a view, like, you know, why well, would, I mean, I can guarantee you no sex therapist would ever point at your penis yeah. and laugh. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, reassure any listeners out there who yeah. might be experiencing <laughs> this that this is not what we do. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's breaking down some of that, the myths, there's a lot of myths about sex, as, as you know, but to break around, <laughs> break down some of these myths around what it means to even talk to a sex therapist. It's about non-judgmental you know, counselling with, with no shame. The, the key is how do you, you know, make people feel comfortable right from the start? Mm. How do you sit down and make people feel comfortable uh, to talk about sex? Mm. Yeah, and part of what we do is, is help coach people about having sexual conversations.
Up till now, we've been talking a lot about bad sex in long-term relationships. Let's move on to bad sex in the hookup scene. In research for this episode, to say we were inundated with stories from you guys about all the bad sex you've had in one-night stand situations, well, that is a huge understatement. Lisa says the problem with hookup sex is that you've had no time to establish any sexual rapport. You're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants quite often and it's tur- and it turns out, you know, it can turn out quite badly because you mm. actually haven't negotiated anything. You haven't sort of said, well, what do you like, what don't you like, what feels okay, what's okay, what's not okay. I haven't had any of those discussions at all. So I would say that there's just a complete lack of, you know, communication leading up to that about the topic of sex. And what about the classic move of when the man, assuming you're having sex with a man, mm. kind of shoves your head towards his penis. Mm. How do you have a voice in that situation? I guess that's how you have a voice in any situation, isn't mm. it? You actually say, well, that might be okay, but if it's not okay, that I guess that's where you say, no, that, that doesn't work for me. You know, and it's tricky too, especially if you don't know that person very well, then there could be a fear factor where you think, oh, what if I say no? How might they react? I don't really know this person terribly well. So I think there's probably an element of, yeah, concern that maybe holds people back from saying, oh, that doesn't work for me, I don't like that. How about we do it this way instead? Why do you think women aren't always clear with what they want in the bedroom? Maybe socialisation, you know, that we're taught that our pleasure isn't a priority and that we prioritise the needs of others ahead of our own, I think. So what are some of the maybe more playful ways that we can convey what we want sexually without making things awkward? Humour. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm a big, big fan of of humour. And just having that playful chat, you know, like you might be, you might be having a bit of kissing, mucking around, you're taking your clothes off, you, you know, you use that moment to say, hey, what do you like, you know, what works for you? Or tell me about some fun things you've done. And, you know, you, you just bring a bit of lightness to it. It's um, sometimes very serious. Yes. People go very serious about <laughs> sex. And I think sex is hilarious. It's, it's noisy and messy and wet and, and it can be so funny and you try things that don't work, positions that don't work, you get cramps in the middle of something. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I think that but there's, there's quite a lot of emphasis on the seriousness of mm. it too. Um, I'm not saying you're, you're like hysterical laughing the whole way. That could be somewhat off-putting. But, um, but I do think that, you know, to, to be able to relax and enjoy sex and enjoy talking about it is just so vital to mm. pleasure. Tell me why should we have good sex? Like why is sex important to our intimate relationships? It's so good. It feels so good. (laughs) It's so good, you know, because it's just wonderful for bonding, isn't it? It's just marvellous for, you know, sharing intimacy but being able to talk about your shared goals and interests and to feel really bonded to, to one another. And, you know, we have sex for different reasons, of course, and um, but bonding is one of the important ones and just the, the beautiful feelings of all those chemicals that get released and all that oxytocin and serotonin and the beautiful health benefits of all that as well. So there's many great 
aspects to, to having a really good, healthy sex life and prioritising that. So people will come to me and they'll list all these you know, things that they're doing, the busyness of their lives, and, and I'll say, tell me, why is it that you prioritise all those other things over your sex life? And you know, going out for dinner with your friends or catching up with your sister for lunch or, like, why is that the priority over your relationship? And people kind of stop and go, oh... Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I need to think about that. Okay. So we need a chapter in this book that's kind of happy, don't you reckon? Cool. Okay. Well, Sarah's going to write it. And like all good fairy tales that we no longer read to our children because they're weird and sexist, there's a sad twist halfway through, which we'll call Six Years of Bad Sex. There's a happy ending, but it starts off pretty grim. Um, yeah. So lying in bed with my husband, um, you know, lights would be off and he'd reach a hand across off something like that and, um, and move his body across. And something that he used to do often, which really drove me nuts, is that he'd really press himself up against me and uh, it just, it really made me feel uncomfortable. You know, and I might even say, like, sort of roll away or whatever or just try and kiss him a little bit and, and just sort of try and indicate that maybe maybe that wasn't what I wanted and that just that persistent sort of grinding on my leg, um, yeah, it really <laughs> it makes me feel a bit sick thinking about it. Um, and just knowing what was, knowing what was coming um, and not knowing how to really say no. Um, I think actually the one time that he sort of stopped was actually on our wedding night when I was exhausted. I was really, really tired and I said I didn't want to have sex and we started having sex anyway and and he stopped halfway through and was just like, you are really tired, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, I'm really tired. And he's like, okay, we don't have to. And I think that was the only time actually that he probably listened Finding that voice and having the courage to say, hey, I'm just not into this, was something that Sarah really struggled with. I'm a real pleaser. So, you know, when you do those um, personality tests and those sorts of things, my little symbol, my person, is the guy, the waiter who runs after everyone. I'm a giver and I'm a pleaser and that sort of thing. So that can be quite damaging because you just give too much of yourself. And I think that's really why he was very dominant and really selfish and there just wasn't much room for me and I and I sort of allowed that to to continue and I didn't speak up enough and and I guess I sort of thought that there were lots of signs there and he he wasn't reading them. Sarah a lot of what you've described are are kind of um things that are going on in your head very internal, yeah. Yeah. So can you describe physically what was going on with the bad sex between you and your husband? Yeah. Well, it was, I mean, it was often painful. I wouldn't initiate sex because I I had all these negative emotions around it. And also if it didn't feel great, then he would name that and it would be my fault. It would be put on me. And it, sometimes it would go for 45 minutes. It was just it would forty five minutes. So, it would just keep going. It wouldn't stop. And why did it you know, go on so long? I don't know. I don't know. And so I would want it to finish. Uh, just you know, especially when it's painful too. Um, 
you know, and he caught me out looking at the clock a oh couple of God. times. We, we had one of those bedside table clocks with the like the the red numbers, mm. and he caught me out. And again, I got in trouble for like, oh, you know, you're looking at the clock. Like, come on, you should be enjoying it. I wasn't attracted to him at that time, even though you know we're married. So there was that element. I guess you you could just say like it's it was a lubrication issue, and so it was just so painful. And he would complain because you know the next day he'd have like you know, cuts or on his penis and that sort of thing. And that was my fault. What? He had cuts on his penis because mm. there was no lubrication in the sex? Mm. And it would, like, I'd go to the bathroom afterwards and it would, like, it would hurt to urinate. <sighs> I've had to work really hard to, and I just clarify, this is an ex-husband. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Not husband, ex-husband. Um, and I just through therapy and that sort of stuff. I really had to forgive myself for not saying anything. So that's the thing with bad sex is that oftentimes we don't know what the alternative is. So when yeah. you were experiencing bad sex, was it in your head that this is bad? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. And how, yeah, how do I approach this? How do I speak up? Let's say you're naked in bed. Mm. What's going through your head at that time? Oh, dread. I don't want to do this. I'm not someone who instigates sex anyway, um, but whenever that was sort of coming, I was like, oh, like, how many times can you say no in a week kind of thing? Did he want sex a lot? I don't know what a lot is, but at least a couple of times a week, which when you're happy, that's great. The bad sex Sarah went through was part of a bigger picture. Not long into her marriage, she found out that her husband had been sleeping with her best friend. The affair ended two marriages, her own and her best friend's. It was pretty full on, um, which is an understatement. Um, <laughs> so it was a very low time, very low time. As soon as it was, like, out, oh, it, like, my life changed. Once Sarah and her husband went through divorce and she started seeing other people, she was a bit like a big Labrador with its head out the car window, drooling on everything and enjoying the ride of her life. There was this really good-looking guy at work <laughs> and we started hanging out and then, you know, we, we went to the driving range, as you do, and... He drove me home and, you know, we kissed in the car and then, oh, my God, this flurry, you know, we ended up at my place and um, it was incredible. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm loving this. This is amazing. There's nothing wrong with me. (laughs) I'm alive, you know, and that was incredible. I remember midway through just having this epiphany that someone is attracted to me. This is incredible. Oh, that's so good. It was amazing, yeah. So shout out to him. He was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) He he blew the cobwebs away. He really did. He really did. And he was coming out of a relationship too. So I think we really gave each other exactly what we needed. Really nice guy, very gentle, very genuine, and that went on for like sort of two months or something and we gave exactly what we needed, you know. It was never meant to be a relationship that would last forever but (laughs) we looked after each other and we got each other, you know, we we gave each other confidence and Uh. it really helped, it definitely helped me move on and just sort of go, wow, this is, okay, here we go. 
Sarah, if you could go to the younger version of yourself who was enduring that bad sex that mm. you didn't like, it was causing you pain, mm. what mm. would you say to yourself? That that's not okay and that you are brave enough to speak up, whether it's to a friend or a doctor or a psychologist or the person that you're having sex with. You need to say something and that it's actually a partnership. It's the other person as well and... If they're not doing it for you, with you, then it's wrong. It's got to be about the both of you. Have you got that? Bad sex is not your fault. If sex is bad, it's always their fault. (laughs) Just kidding. That's a joke. But seriously, a lot of the women that we've spoken to for this episode have blamed themselves if the sex isn't good. So I want you to know that if you've ever thought this, A you're really not alone. And B, there are two people in this situation, at least two, sometimes more. So it can't just be you. Hey, I'd like you to know, ladies, that we didn't talk about what it's like for women who've been through sexual assault in this episode for a specific reason. We are doing an entire episode on intimacy after sexual assault a little later in the season. So we promise to hold some space for you coming up. If you have experienced some level of sexual trauma, we're taking a particular look at intimacy, navigating things like closeness and sex after sexual assault, so please reach out to us if you feel like talking. You can find Ladies We Need to Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. It's produced by Cassandra Steve. Supervising producer is Madeline Jenner. And our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of audio studios is Kelly Reardon. 